Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Genesis chapter number two, we're continuing, we're back in our series, we're going through the first book of the Bible. The book of Genesis is really the foundation of all of Scripture, and it's the foundation of all of our faith. Because here's the reality, if if Genesis is not true, then the rest of the Bible is not true. Genesis is the, it's the pillars upon which the rest of the Bible stands, and it's a vital foundational book, and it's amazing. How, how much truth and how, much, how many of the principles that we need for living in 2022 are found in this book that, that recounts um, the beginning of creation that God has done. And so we're going verse by verse through this book. This is, I believe, our sixth message in the book of Genesis, and we find ourselves in Genesis chapter number two this morning. If I were to walk up to you this morning and ask you, what do you need to live? Probably the first thing that would come to most of our minds is food and water, right? Without food and water, we're not going to live for very long. We might mention clothing, we might mention shelter, maybe we would say a job or something of that nature, and those answers would all be correct as it relates to our physical survival. We're not going to survive very long without food and clothing and uh, food and water and and clothing. Those things are kind of needs, necessities of life, but but that answer would be right, but What if we're talking about what is needed beyond basic physical survival? And we're talking about what is needed to live a fulfilled life. What do you need to live a meaningful life? What do you need to live a joyful life? Isn't that what everybody wants? I want to find purpose in my life. I want to find fulfillment. Why was I put here? What's what's this all about? What do I need? Uh, Fulfillment, joy. How do I find true joy? Not just uh, fleeting temporary pleasures, not just a smile or a fun party, but how do I find lasting joy and purpose and fulfillment in this crazy, sometimes confusing place called earth? Is there somewhere where we can find the secrets to life, find the meaning of life, that which will bring us purpose and joy and fulfillment? The truth of the matter, I believe, God, the creator of life, the one that created us, the creator of mankind, he gives us the answer in some of the opening words, the opening pages of Scripture, where we find what are the greatest needs of our lives. And I want to bring you a message this morning entitled, Three of Our Greatest Needs. Three of Our Greatest Needs. If you want to know how to properly use something, let's say you, you buy something or you, you're, you're working with something, what do we do if we want to know how to properly use it? Or if it's not working right, how do we fix it? How do we get it where it's supposed to be? What do we do? We'll often go to the manual, or now we'll go to YouTube and watch the video that shows. And where are most of those things from? They're from the 
creator, the manufacturer, the, the person that created it, the company that created it is the one. I had uh, lights going off on my dashboard, and what did I do? I went to my, just a week or two ago, I went to my car manual. What do these lights mean? I went to the manufacturer, the one that created that vehicle, to find out what do I need to know to use this properly. The reality is, the truth of the matter is, if you want to know how to properly use something, you should go to the Creator. The one who understands how that thing was made, why it was made, the one, the one who understands what it was made for. The Creator understands the creation in a way that no one else can. So if we're trying to figure out how we were made, and why we were made, and what we were made for, what should we do? It only makes sense that we would go to our Creator to find those answers. I want us to pick up, we're going to look at a, a, a somewhat lengthy portion of Scripture this morning, and then we'll pull out these thoughts from the passage. I want us to look, pick up where we left off. The last message, those that recall, a couple of Sundays ago, we, I brought a message entitled, The Importance of Rest. Anybody get a nap since then? Anybody here? You got a, a few of us got a nap. I went home and practiced what I preached that Sunday. I took a nap. But we looked at the Sabbath day, the seventh day of creation in the first three verses of Genesis 2, and we're going to pick it up uh, in Genesis chapter number 2, verse number 4. We've already looked at the first three, the importance of rest. Let's pick it up. Chapter 1 gives an overview of creation. It tells us the six days of creation, how God created everything that is in the world, everything that we, we know as, as our life, how and, and when it was created, how God did it. It's an overview in chapter one. We jump into chapter two, and what happens is, in Scripture, as Moses is writing, it, we dig a little deeper into some of the details of that creation. So it's not a new account of creation. It's taking the account from ch chapter one, and it's digging into some of the details details in chapter 2. Look at verse number 4, if you will. Follow along, please, and I'll have you read some aloud here. Ch verse number 4, chapter number 2. The Bible says, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. This just means this is the time when it happened. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And scientists now will tell us that we can tell that it, throughout, it, at some point in history, the way that our uh, atmosphere and the way that things were watered is different than it is today. Well, if we read Scripture, we understand that that, that happened when God broke the heavens open and the flood of Noah and those things. But, but scientists sometimes are a little late to catch up to the truth that's in Scripture. But we, we see the truth here, this talking about it was, it was a different way that the atmosphere function. Verse 7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. A reminder, everything else that he created, he created with his word. And God said, and God said, and God said. Now he takes the dust of the ground, and the Bible says, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. We'll talk some more about that in chapter 3. And a river went out of Eden to water this gar the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, and, it is, uh, it is, uh, it, and, and that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of the land is good. There is bdellium and the onyx stone. 
And the name of the second river is Gihon, the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hidekel, and that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Would you read verse number 16 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Read 17 with me, please. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. I think we're going to come back to that verse in our next message in this series. Verse number 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him in help, meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found in help, meat for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep, first surgery, medical surgery here, a deep sleep, some anesthesia to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Someone said that when, when Adam woke up and saw Eve standing there, the way we got that word, that name was, he said, Whoa, man. And uh, so we've got woman. I'm not sure if that's how it worked or not, but uh, that is, that is the, uh, the legend of some. Verse number 24, would you read the last two verses aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And we're not going to take much time there with those verses. We talked about that a few weeks ago. God, in the opening pages of Scripture, lays out His plan for creation. He lays out his plan for marriage, he lays out his plan for all of these things, and in the time since then, since the fall, we as his creation have, have seemingly turned all of that upside down. We now want to define what marriage is. We want to define that, that I just have all of these partners and I do all of this and all of that and all, and God early on in his creation said, this is how I created it. This is why I created it. This is what I created it for. So we have man and woman. Perfect, sinless, there is no sin in the world yet. They're, they're living their lives, they're doing what God's called them to do. And what does this passage teach us about what we were created for? I told you we're going to talk this morning about three of our greatest needs to find fulfillment in this life. What does this passage teach us about that? What are our greatest needs? What are our greatest needs? I would suggest to you, number one, man's greatest need from creation, number one, even before the fall, is to enjoy communion with God. From the beginning, we were made for a relationship with Him. It's interesting, throughout all history, all civilizations, anywhere you go, whether it's a Christian nation, whether it's a Catholic nation predominantly, whether it's predominantly a Muslim nation, no matter where you go, if it's a village that really has no organized religion, everywhere you go they have stories and they have drawings on caves and they, they know that there is something bigger that they crave a relationship with. 
Now, sometimes they may not have the truth of Scripture. Now, the Bible does say that the heavens declare the glory of God. It it tells us there's something bigger. But it's inside the heart of man to know there's something bigger than us in this thing called life. And and we try to fill that God-sized hole with all kinds of things. Instead of communion with God, instead of a relationship with God, we try to fill that God-sized hole with man-created things, and we come up empty all the time. We'll try it with a relationship, maybe if I get married, or maybe if I get that friend, or a career, maybe if I get to that position, or, or possessions, maybe if I have that income level, or, or pleasure, maybe if I go on that vacation, or buy that car, or have that toy, that whatever it might be. We try to fill this, this God-sized hole that we're looking for fulfillment. We'll try to fill it sometimes with substances, or, or uh, uh, alcohol, or a party, or something that will take our mind off of these things and give us some temporary pleasure, some temporary relief. Why? Our hearts are crying out, I need a relationship that will fill and meet the needs of my innermost being. From the beginning, we were made for a relationship with Him. The Westminster Catechism from the 1640s says it this way, what is the chief end of man? Would you read the chief end of man aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What is the purpose of all of this? Why were we created? The Bible says we were created by and for His pleasure, to glorify Him. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our relationship with God, church, may I remind us this morning, and I know that there are some guests that you're newer to our church and many that have been coming for weeks, months, years, and even decades. May I remind you that our communion with God, our relationship with God isn't supposed to consist of solely 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. It's not supposed to be a religious duty that we check off for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. God created us for a relationship with Him that permeates every aspect of every minute of every day of our lives. From the beginning, God created us to enjoy communion with Him. Our relationship should be an ongoing, ever-building relationship, not a religious ceremony once a week. Consistent communion with Him. How do I know that we were created uh, for communion with Him? There are a few different ways throughout Scripture, but in this passage, what was, do you remember, what was the first, what was the, one of the very first effects of the first sin? When Adam and Eve took of the fruit, and we'll, we'll talk about that in the coming weeks, and they, they decided to disobey God's command that they not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what was one of the first effects of sin in this world, in our world, once, once man fell and sinned. What was it? Look at chapter number 2, verse number—I'm sorry, uh, yes, let's see here, verse number—I'm uh, th- sorry, chapter 3, verse number 6. Look at chapter 3, verse number 6. We're going to skip ahead a little bit. Chapter 3, verse number 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, by the way, be careful making decisions on what looks good to you and what you think will make you feel good. That often lead us into a lot of problems. Pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. One of the, the first effect of sin was they tried to cover it. 
And isn't that what we do? What do little kids do when they get in trouble at home? And did you do that? No, I didn't do that. They immediately try to cover it, or they look at you, and they lie right to your face. They're trying to cover their sin. That's in our nature. Nobody teaches their child how to cover their sin. Nobody teaches you how to cover your sin. It's in our nature. That was the first effect, but look at the next effect. Verse number eight. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That sounds like a pretty amazing opportunity, doesn't it? You hear God Himself coming, walking to come have communion with you, to spend time with you. We would run to that, wouldn't we? That's what we would think. Let's see what they did after sin. And Adam and his wife did what church? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They hid themselves, and God calls out and says, where are you? It's a rhetorical question. He knows where they are. And he comes, and shorten the story, he says, he says, where'd you get those clothes? Oh, oh, well, we just made them because we were naked. Who told you you were naked? And we go through, and the, one of the first effects of sin was broken communion with God, broken fellowship. Sin separated them from God, a broken relationship. By the way, the rest of the Bible is the story of God drawing us and calling us back to himself. God creating a way, as we just sang, to bridge that great divide, the blood of Christ, to bridge that great divide. The rest of the Bible is the story from Genesis 3 when sin separated them in their communion, in their relationship. The rest of the Bible is God saying, I want us to have that relationship back. Yes, your sin separated you from me, but I love you. I've paid the price for your sin. Will you come back? Will you have that relationship with me and the single great need in our lives is a relationship with the God of the universe. The single greatest need in our lives for everyone in this room is to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, to have a relationship. And then once you have that relationship, once you're a child of God, you're saved, you're born again, as the Bible calls it, uh, that's, that's what baptism was. It's an identification I've chosen to accept by faith Christ as my Savior, to begin a relationship with Him. And then the rest of our lives, one of our greatest needs, if not our greatest need, is ongoing communion with Him time with Him, building that relationship. We were created for fellowship with God. Sin separated us from Him, but the rest of Scripture, He's bringing us back to Himself. Look at chapter 3, verse 21. Skip down if you will. Chapter, I want you to see this. Chapter 3, verse number uh, 21. Read it aloud with me, please. This is a beautiful verse, and we're going we're gonna to spend a message here probably sometime in July. Chapter 3, verse 21. Let's read it. Ready? Begin. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. What happened immediately? God said, let me help you with your sin. Let me cover your sin. Let me pay for your sin. They had tried to do it themselves. They had sewed fig leaves together, fig leaves. And God said, no, let me pay for your sin. Let me cover it. I want that relationship back. There can be no communion without a relationship. And so my question to everyone here this morning is, do you know, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Sin has separated you from God. Have you allowed Jesus to restore that relationship and give you new life, new purpose, renewed communion with Him? One of our most basic needs for a fulfilled, joyful, purpose-filled life is 
is to enjoy communion with God, time with Him in His Word, time with Him in prayer, time with Him regularly in His house, a relationship with Him. How is, church family, your communion with God? Are you trying to fill that need with a career, with entertainment, with pleasure? with online relationships, with friends, with social media interactions, we're looking for that communion in all of these places that can only be filled by that relationship with the one who made us, who created us. One of our greatest needs is to enjoy communion with God. Another one of our most basic fundamental needs, secondly, is to fulfill our God-given purpose. Look at verse number 15, if you will, chapter 2, back where we read earlier. Chapter 2, verse number 15, would you follow along there with me? Chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, And the Lord, the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. God gave Adam a job. By the way, sometimes we think of work as being a part of the curse because of sin. Work is not a curse. Now, the Bible said there would be pain, there would be thorns, there would be some difficulties in our labor, the sweat of our brow because of the curse. But God had given man work to do before the fall of man ever happened. God created us to use the gifts and the abilities He's given us to work, to, to, to make the world a better place. Look at verse number 15, to dress it and to keep it. Verse 16, and the Lord, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you can eat. So he told him not to eat. So there's a certain thing I want you to do, and there's a certain way I want you to do it. Skip down to verse number uh, 19. Out of the ground of the Lord God formed every beast. And then it says, he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found in help meat for him. What do we find here in the opening words of Scripture when God created man? He said, I have a work I want you to do, and I have a way I want you to do it. There's some, there's some guidelines. Don't eat of that tree. I'm giving you a beautiful work environment. I'm giving you a wonderful, you're going to name all the animals. I have a work I want you to do and a way that I want you to do it. And the same is true for you and I today. Here's what happens, I think, often in our society, just human nature, but maybe even Western society in 2022, 21st century living. I think most of us, all of us, often, view our careers primarily as ways to make our lives better, to enrich ourselves and to make our names maybe great. When a student, a young person is coming through high school, often, and I'll, I'll do this too, I'll say to, to a student, I've tried to stop now, but with teenagers, what do you want to do when you graduate? Here's what I've tried to change that statement to, what does God have for you when you graduate? Because here's what happens as we're growing up, everybody is, well, what do you like? Well, what, or we look at what could make me the most money? What's the most successful? What's going to give me the easiest life? What's going to give me the nicest house, the best cars? What's going to give me the earliest retirement? And all of our view of our work, the thing we'll spend more of our time doing than just about anything else, almost all of our view is it, how does it serve me better? 
How does it make my life better? And that's a wrong view. The view is, God, what have you created me for? What is my God-given purpose? We often choose what we want to do as a job based on what we think will make our lives easiest or make us the most money, and then we wonder why after years or even decades of spending more time on our careers than anything else, we come to our 40s or our 50s or our 60s, and we feel empty and unfulfilled in what we have given our lives to do. It should, it sh- work should not primarily be about how do I make my life better. Our work should always be about what can I do to bring honor and glory to God and to help others more than it is about how can I make my life better. Do you view your work, how can I take this, and God gives everybody different skills, different experiences, different relationships, different educations. He gives you different opportunities and gifts. Do you view those things that he's given you primarily through the lens of God? How do I use this to glorify you and help them? Or do you view it primarily through the lens of how does this make my life better, richer, or easier? From the beginning, God said, I have a work I want you to do. Adam didn't choose his work. God chose his work. Here's what I want you to do for my creation, for my plan, for my kingdom. Here's what I have for you to do. May I just say, uh, again, yes, God uses our work to provide for our families. It's not wrong to make money and to meet our physical needs. And, uh, but as believers, our work should be far more about pleasing God and helping others. How can I use my gifts and my talents and my resources and my finances to make an eternal impact? Have you given any thought to that in your life? Or is it all just about my temporal comfort? How do I get a nicer furniture or a better car? Or, and again, I have a car. I'll I'll buy a car. I'll buy another car in my lifetime. It's not wrong to get a new car or a nice car. That's not wrong. But is our priority, is our focus primarily about how do I make my life better? Or God, how do you use the resources you've given me to glorify you and to help people to make an eternal impact. I want to say this morning, there is no such thing as secular or spiritual work. For the child of God, all our work should be spiritual work. I think another misconception that we have in our churches sometimes as Christians is God gets Sunday, I get Monday through Friday. No, everything we do is supposed to be whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. There are people that God has placed in your circle, in your sphere, in your life that you can influence for God's glory that I could never influence, that I would never reach, they would never listen to me. And I can make an impact for the cause of Christ. Speaking to employees in the book of Colossians, Paul said it this way, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. If I were to ask you who's your boss at work, you would probably give me a name of another another man or another woman. Here's the reality, if you're a believer. Who you're serving, who your boss at work is, is the Lord. That's who we do what we do for. Well, yeah, pastor, of course, that's what pastors, that's who pastors do what they do for. No, that's what we do what we do for. We're serving the Lord, and our testimony is a, is a light and salt in our workplaces and in our lives. God, yes, God calls some of us to serve as full-time pastors and missionaries and Christian workers, but God calls all of us to serve as full-time Christians. May I say that statement again? 
Yes, God calls some of us to serve as full-time pastors or missionaries or Christian workers, but God calls all of us to serve as full-time Christians. Don't get it twisted. We need godly lawyers and doctors and public school teachers and police officers and store managers and car salesmen and business owners. Find your God-given purpose, your calling, and devote it entirely to the Lord. Stop looking at your life as compartmentalized. Sunday is for God. Monday through Friday is for me. Sunday is for worship. Monday through Friday is for work. Sunday is for relationship. Monday through Friday is for gathering and amassing stuff. And then I'll give a portion of that to God on Sunday. But no, Sunday through Saturday is all for God, 24 hours a day. I know a chicken farmer, true story, a chicken farmer who has made millions, tens of millions, probably hundreds of millions, and used that to build churches and send missionaries and reach people with the gospel. I'm personally close friends with a realtor who has seen hundreds of her clients come to church and be saved and follow the Lord. She's given her testimony of salvation to thousands at seminars across our country, at award ceremonies. She's written in real estate publications about how God changed her life. She's given millions upon millions upon millions to biblical ministries. She has reached tens of thousands of people on a bus route every Sunday that she goes out that she has led for decades and brings people to church. There's no doubt that that realtor is responsible for more people coming to church many multiplied times more than I ever will be as a pastor. Her real estate work is not secular work, and my pastoral work is spiritual work. No, it's all spiritual work. God has given her opportunities and resources and giftings and relationships and finances that she said, yes, God, you've blessed it and I'm thankful for it, but how can I further the work of God in my local church and around the world? I'm standing here preaching the gospel on a platform that was built by a semi-retired construction superintendent who has chosen to use his gifts and resources for God's glory. I talked to a widow in our church this week who named that construction worker as one of he and his wife as being some of the people that God used to help at really, uh, really important, desperate times financially since her husband went to heaven. And they uh, uh, just anonymously said, here, get some, here's this, the Lord put this on our heart. Well, what do you have there? A man who never attended college but believed God could use his gifts and abilities for eternal purposes. Well, that's just an uneducated construction worker. No, that is, a, that is a kingdom worker for the glory of God, using his gifts and his abilities and his resources to, to make an impact around the world and at home through his, his life. Don't get it wrong. You don't have to be in a certain vocation for it to be a God-given calling and to be used of God. Today, Dustin got baptized. How did that happen in his life? Dustin's in church with his family every Sunday morning. How did that happen? How did he get there? Dustin works at a boat dealership. He found Christ because of one of his coworkers at a boat dealership. About seven or eight months ago, I think, Dustin, you walked into Greg's office and you said something along the lines of, there's something different about you, man. Talk to me about it. And, and he said, about four or five months ago, my life got turned upside down by, it's going to sound weird to you, but by Jesus. And I'm paraphrasing, but something along those lines. And he's changed everything about me. And, and he had on his, as, a, as a, an executive at a boat dealership, he has a stack of the done books sitting on his desk for, by Kerry Schmidt. And he said, take this book, read it, and come back and talk to me after you read it. Let me know what questions you have. 
and invited him to church, and now Dustin's been growing and meeting weekly with Pastor Doug and getting into the Bible himself, and now there's the whole Dustin fan club, and 50 other people are in church this Sunday morning uh, because of Dustin's life, and they're here, and, and hearing the truths of Scripture, and seeing Dustin follow the Lord. How does that happen? How, how does God change that life? There are multiple coworkers from that office sitting in church today, growing in God, seeing their friend take that step of obedience. Why? Because God can use people who sell and service boats to impact those around them with the gospel. You want to find joy and fulfillment in your life? Stop trying to find it by how I can make more money to make my life easier, and start trying to find it by fulfilling your God-given calling. God, you've, you've put me in a boat dealership, you've put me as a police officer, you've put me in a dentist's office, you've put me selling this, I'm a business owner, I'm a school teacher, that's, my, that's where God has led me, I'm an IT guy, that's my God-given calling. How do I use that to impact the people that I work around and to use those resources to further the cause of Christ? What's one of our greatest needs? You know why we feel so unfulfilled? You know where a lot of midlife crises come from? We get to our 40s or 50s or 60s or beyond and feel really unfulfilled. You know why? Because we, sent, we spent 40, 50, 60 hours a week for 10, 20, 30, 40 years of our life trying to get more for us. And we look back and say, that was really empty. That was really unfulfilling. Is that really all my life was going to amount to is some, some portfolio numbers on a stock account and some toys in my garage, that's really what I'm going to have when I die? That's the end of it? That's all it is? No. God created us from the beginning for a work, and He wanted us to do it His way, and He wanted us to use it for His glory. How do you find, what are our greatest needs? Our greatest needs to enjoy communion with Him, our greatest needs in Genesis here to fulfill our God-given purpose. You and I aren't choosing between spiritual and secular work. We're choosing if we will use our work for spiritual or selfish purposes. Let that truth sink in and ask yourself, how are you using your work? When your calling becomes about more than just yourself, you will begin to find fulfillment. Three of our greatest needs, to enjoy communion with God, to fulfill our God-given calling, and lastly, to live in God-given community to live in God-given community. Would you read verse number 18 aloud with me, chapter 2? Verse number 18, ready? Begin. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. First time in Scripture that something's not good. What did God say over and over and over again in chapter 1? And God saw that it was, and God saw that it was, and God saw that it was, and then He said it was very good. Everything was good in His creation. And now what do we find? He said, man's alone. That's not good. Man wasn't created to live his life in isolation. I need to create another human being. This was going to be a wife, but I need to create another human being for God given community. Man wasn't going, it wasn't going to be good. And this again is before the fall. And God said, it's not good that man is isolated, that man is living his life all by himself. As we study the rest of scripture, we understand that this passage is not saying that every person must be married. Every person must get married. Every person must be married to be happy or to be fulfilled. You study the totality of scripture. Now, yes, this first relationship was marriage, but I believe the principle is you are not supposed to live your life on an island. 
The principle here is God said you need God-given community in your life. Paul, by the way, Jesus spoke of the gift of singleness. Paul exemplified the power of a single person living for God. Paul encouraged people to embrace their singleness, not to desire to be married if God had them to be single. And by the way, he said, if you're married, here's what happens sometimes. When you're single, it's like, I need to find somebody, I need to find somebody, I need to find somebody. You get married, it's like, I need to get rid of somebody, I need to get rid of somebody. I need... Like, that, that's, that's human nature, am I right? So what did Paul say? He said, if you're single, the end-all, be-all is not to get married, and if you're married, don't try to get rid of that spouse wherever God has you relating to marriage. But what's the principle here? Marriage is not required to have a fulfilled life, but God-given community is. Can I say that again? Marriage is not required to have a fulfilled life, but God-given community is. You'll find throughout Scripture the importance of community. In the New Testament, the greatest institution for God-given community in the New Testament is the local church. We're supposed to be members of a body, the Bible says. It uses the, the, the illustration, the analogy of a human body. When you become a church member, you become a part of the human body, and that's how plugged in you're supposed to be, a part of everything the body's doing. You're supposed to be that, that God-given community. You work together. We're supposed to be members of a body that works together. And what will God-given community do for you? God-given community will strengthen you. It will encourage you. It will build you up. It will correct you. It will keep you accountable. It will teach you. It will love you. It will help you. It will sharpen you. God-given community will comfort you in your darkest moments. It will cry with you when your heart is broken. It will rejoice with you in the mountaintop experiences of life. It will restore you when you fall. It will give to you, and the list goes on. The two God-ordained institutions where we find God-given community in Scripture for the most part is the family and the local church. And again, we try to live our lives. We say we're Christians. Well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's true. You ever hear that? Yeah, just organized religion is not for me. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're exactly right. And as one pastor said, I don't have to go home to be married either, but it sure helps the relationship. <laughs> God created us for God-given community. Don't disconnect from those. If God's given you a family and God's given you a local church, don't isolate yourself. Plug into them. Jump into them. This Tuesday night, we start our Tuesday night preaching series. We have dinner every Tuesday night for the next 12 weeks at 5.30 out in the courtyard. It should be beautiful this summer. And it's no cost. Food's provided. Why do we do that? Why? And I can't force people to come to that, and I can't force people to begin to build relationships. But why do we do that? Why? Because we under, I understand in my life the importance of God-given community. If I have a heartache, if I have a heartbreak. My wife and I a couple of years ago went through one of the deepest trials of our lives. Do you know who the people are that I reached out to in that deepest trial? A couple people in this church and a couple pastor friends and a couple family members to walk through that with us. We need God-given community, but we'll never have it if we don't intentionally work on it and develop it and come to those things. And so we have at 5.30 the meal and 6.30 the preaching and then jump houses afterwards for the kids every Tuesday night. Why do we do that? Because we want to follow foster God-given community. Why are we going to the park for a picnic after I if I'll finally be quiet at some point today and stop talking? We're going to get there, kids. Why are we doing that in a barbecue? Why? 
We need fellowship. We need to get to know each other. We need to pray with one another to Bible studies and prayer times and serve together on a service team and a Wednesday night community group. We had about 30 or 40 people at our home last night for a barbecue from our community group. And we met for nine or ten Wednesday nights. We met together every Wednesday night. Why? The Christian life was not intended to be lived in isolation. Go ahead and study in the New Testament all the times the words one another are used. Pray for one another, edify one another, uh, help one another, love one another, all the one another's. Why? It's intended for us to grow together. One-on-one discipleship and prayer groups, all of those things matter, God-given community. So church is not just a one-hour consumer experience where I come. I hear some music I kind of like, I hear a guy yell at me for an hour, and then I leave. That's not, that's not what church is supposed to be all about. Yes, those are parts of it, but it's not just a one-hour consumer experience. We're supposed to be contributing members. And I'm not even talking about finances here, I'm talking about plugging in and being a part of the work of God. The Bible says this about the devil. He's as a roaring lion seeking whom he may, what church? Devour. What, what are lions? Have you ever watched National Geographic? Or maybe we went to a, on a missions trip to Africa a few years ago. We saw a lion out in the savannah there. What do lions look for in their prey? Our safari tour guide told us basically there are three different types of animals that lions look for when they're looking for a target. They look first for the young. A young one that's not as fast, not as strong to fight back. If they can, they'll go after a young one. By the way, I think that's true in the church, a newer believer. That's why we need to surround ourselves with older, wiser, more godly people to help us and walk through those things with us. The devil will attack a young one. You know what they said? Secondly, they'll look for a wounded animal, an animal that's wounded. And here's another reality. When you have been wounded in life, when you're hurting, when you're walking through a trial, that's a very dangerous season in your spiritual life. I was meeting with somebody on Friday that's, that's had some wounds in this last year. And I said to her, I said, don't allow these things to push you away from God and away from the work of God and away from godly friends and influences. I said, let those people come around and support you and surround you in this season. Because the lion will look for a wounded one. And how many people have been wounded and they walk away from God? They walk away from church because of a heartache or a heartbreak in their lives. And then thirdly, he said, you know what they look for? They look for the one that's isolated away from the pack. If they can find one out, on, a straggler out on his own, it's a much easier target. Even in the animal world, they understand the strength and the power of community. May I say, who is Satan looking for to devour? Sometimes the young. I would say young in Christ, and even in our children, he's going after their minds and their hearts. The wounded. I've said this statement before, when you're walking through a really deep trial, don't make a major decision when your decision maker's broken. When you're in a a time of just turmoil and and, and shock and and angst and frustration and heartache and heartbreak, that's not the time to make big decisions. Why? Because we're wounded and sometimes Satan will get, or when we get isolated, we get away from the God-given community, spiritual attacks can become much more difficult to deal with. You've listened well. Let me wrap it up. So what are our three greatest needs? You know what we think they are by the way we live our lives often? We think it's more money, more pleasure, more experiences, more possessions, more power, more position. What are we doing when we, when we live that way? We're trying to find fulfillment that we know we need, 
in things and places and experiences that will never bring that fulfillment. God showed us early the opening words of the opening book of the Bible. He gave us the answers for his creation. What are our three greatest needs? To enjoy communion with God, to fulfill our God-given calling, and to live in God-given community. So those, I believe, are three of our greatest needs. Here's my question to you as we finish it up. Which one of those is lacking in your life? Which one of those have you let slip, or do you not have it all in your life? Every disappointment, every disillusionment, every regret, when you look back on your life, every place where you are unfulfilled, you can point it back to a lack of one of those three things in your life and in mine. Every place where we feel empty, disillusioned by life, and unfulfilled can be traced back to our lack of one of these. Have you gotten off track? Have you lost your focus? Has your focus shifted from these three vital needs, and we've tried to replace them with weak, temporary substitutes? Instead of communion with God, we try parties and trips and pleasure, only to come up empty, always looking for the next adrenaline rush or the next high. Instead of, uh, instead of viewing our calling as a way to glorify God and help others, we viewed it as a way to only enrich ourselves. And we wonder why our ever-growing portfolio and garages full of toys and stuff don't bring any lasting fulfillment. Instead of finding community in your family and in your church, have you isolated yourself or chosen to plug, plug into communities with no eternal purposes and no desire to follow God? I would challenge you, commit yourself to these three things and find the simple, beautiful joy that comes from a life lived in light of these three priorities. If you're here with no relationship with God, let him save you today. If you know Christ as Savior, how's your daily communion with him? How's your view of the work he's given you to do? Well, that's just my work, and this is my church life. That's my work life. This is my spiritual life. No, no, no. All work, there's no such thing as secular and spiritual work. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. God put you in that place to be a light for Him. God gave you that income to use it to glorify Him and help others. How are you doing fulfilling your God-given calling? And are you plugged into God-given community? Do you have people that you can pray with, that you can cry with, that you can laugh with, that can walk through you the, the, the deepest trials, the biggest questions of life? You can. God wants you to. But you have to choose to plug into that. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.